Welcome to Enneagram Plus Yoga, a podcast for the body, heart, and mind. We have with us today Abby Robbins, the author of The Conscious Enneagram. She's going to talk with us about how types 4, 5, 6, and 7 can learn to embrace community in ways that will help them to thrive in life. We really appreciate you guys being loyal listeners. Thanks for joining us. So let's dive into the four. Um, I love your wisdom about fours in community and especially this quote. Uh, and this is what you said. Their fundamental belief that they don't belong goes hand in hand with the fear that if they do, in fact, belong, then they would be ordinary like the rest of us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> fours really don't like that one. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't belong. I don't fit in. What's missing? I mean, there's there's the sort of four thoughts of the the four. But how can being grounded in a community serve a four? And what do fours offer the community? Man, I have to say, my, my wife is a four, um, so this all feels like it comes from lived experience. Um, <laughs> fours really don't like community. Um, very, very very resistant um, for a lot of those things that like I said in, in the book, right? It's this deep, deep fear of not belonging, but then almost a deeper fear of actually belonging, right? Like if, if they did belong, then they wouldn't be special, right? They'd be like everybody else. Um, and that's a lot of hard work for fours to like get through to actually get to where they're even a part of community and showing up more authentically. Um, a lot of work has to be done with the four to kind of change the, I think the best way to put it is like, we want, um, we want unity, but not uniformity. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and really kind of unpacking the difference between those two things, I think is really helpful for fours that like you can show up and be a part of the community and truly deeply belong without having to be exactly like everyone else. Um, we, we have to remember that because right, if, if we have to be like everyone else in order to belong, then the community is deeply limited. Like the community is crippled because everyone is the same. And so therefore has the same strengths and weaknesses and specialties and, and whatever. And while that may be great for a highly specialized section, um, it's not well-rounded enough to be, uh, to have the longevity, to, to have the ability to, to move and to grow um, when we can show up and really be ourselves and when four can, fours can show up and be ourselves. It adds to the collective intelligence, right? We need people who are different in order, like, and we need people who are different to belong in our spaces. Um, and fours have to get over themselves a little bit, right? I mean, we all do, of course, but like in this particular instance, I hear a lot of objections from fours. It's like, well, I just can't find the right community and, you know, no, no, nowhere really fits and, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, 
And that, that to me is a sign. It's just resistance. It's just the type getting in the way. No community is going to be perfect. No community is going to feel exactly like a glove forever. Um, but if a four can, can do that work and show up in community, they really do. They provide so much because they see things so differently, right? Like they are seeing things differently than anyone else in the room. And because of that, they're able to, they are able to see what's missing. They're able to see this ideal, right? Just like ones and sevens, they're in that idealist triad. They can see what's not here and what could be. Um, and that's, that's beautiful and motivating and transformational for everyone involved in the community. Um, but when a four can really show up and be themselves, right? Regardless of how like weird or different they may be when they show up as themselves, it gives a lot of permission for everyone else to kind of drop their own act, right? Like, oh, we don't have to all look and act and talk the same. We can be different and still be connected. And um, so that's an, that's an important piece for that force bring to a community when they do the work to be in community. Oh yeah, that was so rich. The four is definitely always looking for the ideal. Um, whether that's like you said, the ideal community, the ideal partner, the ideal place to live, the ideal job, etc. right? Well, speaking about resisting the community. <laughs> let's talk about- Great segue. <laughs> let's talk about Enneagram 5 so Abby in your book you say and I quote it is almost guaranteed that fives will experience difficulty in communities that they make them want to isolate but in isolating they are cutting off themselves off from the very growth and development they've been searching for so how does community enhance the life of a five and I know for fives who are listening right now, it's just, they're probably about to start having their ears bleed, yeah. <laughs> but, but give us, give us your wisdom on how five actually can benefit from being a community. Yeah. Um, I think, I think it's helpful to start with how fives benefit communities. Like when fives show up in community, um, the entire community becomes more competent, right? Um, fives really know their stuff. They're incredible teachers. They, they are not, they love sharing wisdom and, and information and um, they love to go out and seek the information and then share it with everyone, right? Or, or their people, right? Um, and so when a, when a five can really show up and engage in community, the whole community becomes more well-informed, more competent, and every community should be seeking out fives. And they sometimes have to seek them out because yeah. fives aren't knocking down their doors. We'll just yeah. say, um, but what a five really gets from community that I think gets overlooked is that there, there are only things that can, that can be experienced or can be known through action. Um, and the community gives fives a place to, you know, like I said, in some ways, like it's a reality check for eights, right? It's a reality check for any of us, right? Is the work we're doing actually worth anything? Um, and fives can really learn and experience 
there's all this information that I've collected or all these things that I quote unquote know, are those, do those work in the real world? Right? Like community, I like to, you know, I like to use the energy of five to work fives through some of their issues. It's like, hey, if you want to have more, um, you know, a broader research base, right? And see how these things really show up for these individual people, you have to be in community. You have to talk with people. You have to engage and relate to people. And, and then once in that space, it gives fives the real opportunity to practice feeling in the moment, right? Like fives aren't necessarily feeling repressed, but they want to deal with their feelings later. Um, and usually they can get away with that, but in community, they have a lot more opportunity to feel in real time and, and communicate that in real time or to practice that at least. Um, and so, you know, fives, this, this drive for competency keeps them from being in community, but it's actually the community that allows them to be more competent. Um, and so I think that's, that's the big piece for fives. And that's kind of the carrot we can dangle, right? That like, oh, actually, if you're engaged with people, what you know, right? The things that are really true come into sharp contrast to the things that are just theory, right? Or just thoughts and ideas versus what can be lived experience. Um, and there's a lot of really, really valuable things there for fives to learn. Mm, thank you. Love that discussion on the five. Uh, let's transition to our type six. So we're still in the head triad. But this is your quote from your book, Abby. I love this. Type sixes feel as though they must pull people close in in order to see if they can be trusted. But then sixes compulsively test their trustworthiness, often pushing others away. So let's talk about the type sixes. What would it look like for them to be in community without the fear piece? And also, what do they offer their communities? The sixes work really, really lies in taking that kind of external orientation and bringing it internal. A lot like what I mentioned with the twos. Um, twos and six are probably tied for most externally oriented, right? Like they're getting yeah. all of their feedback, all of their sense of self, all of you know, all of these things from the outside, not from the inside. Um, and so really the heart of sixes work in community, right? Cause sixes are in communities all the time. That's where they, like you said, that's where they find their sense of security. That's where they find their sense of safety. Um, but it's often, uh, they're often really hot and cold with their communities and they may feel like they never really belong in their communities. They may feel as though, um, they're, they're kind of always on the search for the right community. Um, mm -hmm. right. So there's like a, a leaving and then a finding and a drawing close. And it, it turns out to be kind of like a cycle for sixes, um, because they're doing that, like drawing things close, getting really intense, getting really deeply ingrained and then pushing it away out of fear, out of et cetera. Um, and so the work for sixes is really to, to find their sense of safety and security internally to know and deeply trust their own inner authority. Um, sixes need yoga real bad. <laughs> yeah. 
right? That, that tuning into the inner knowing is such a huge thing for sixes and it, you know, and again, we all need that, but like, this is the core piece of sixes work is to tune into themselves and to trust what they hear and take action on it and not second guess themselves, not question themselves incessantly. Um, because when they can have peace with themselves, the community is fine, right? They have nothing to be afraid of. Mm -hmm. uh, and when they can find themselves more grounded in their own experience, then there's not a, there's not a need to play that fear out externally, right? Because that's what's happening. They're, they're using the community or the group or whatever it is as a stand-in for their own internal experience, and they're afraid of it. Mm -hmm. And so when they can do that work to really ground in themselves um, and show up, you know, willing to um, doubt their doubt, so we say, um, then they can show up in the community and sixes are really great at building community, right? They love the communal aspect. And when that's done in a way that's not um, testing or quid pro quo, right? When it's done in a really authentic way, we all really benefit for the, the really beautiful and large space that sixes can hold for all of us. Not to mention, you know, all of the things that they do, right? The worst case scenario and the, you know, the forecasting, et cetera, like they're good at that, right? Yeah. They can see the challenges that we will face as a community together and they can help us prepare for those things. Like there's not anything wrong with being reasonably prepared, right? And, and sixes can really bring that to the community. Um, when we talk about, I, I love talking about sixes because they are also a type that gets a bad rap. Um, where they, you know, like, oh, they're such a downer. They're always saying no and et cetera. And it's like, when we look at the deeper history of the Enneagram and we look at how the symbol is made, we learn the law on the triangle of the law of three, which mm -hmm. says that we, we have to have a yes. And in order to transform, we also have to have a no. And then we have to be able to transcend and include both at the nine point. So that's what that triangle represents. And so without this no, there's no place to refine whatever the yes is, right? So whatever the community is trying to do, if there's not a six trying to pump the brakes a little bit, right? And, and get clearer on some things and really refine some things, um, the whatever yes energy there is, is just going to kind of fizzle out because it's not being brought to its fullness with this six energy that comes to it. Um, and so I think about that often with sixes and how necessary that is, especially in communities or workplaces, uh, because otherwise things just, things just don't work out. <laughs> like we don't get where we want to go without this energy. Yeah, for that. Well, let's close our Enneagram circle by talking about my fifth number. number okay. <laughs> so I'm married to seven. Okay. And Abby, I really loved your reminder. And I quote, when sevens show up for community, their community often wants to pigeonhole them into only being the life of the party. Mm -hmm. So what does it look like when seven shows up into a community with both joy and their pain? Mm -hmm. And how does that influence the community they're in? Yeah. Um, 
Man, that's such an important piece for sevens, right? To be willing to like not be the life of the party. Um, because first of all, they need to know that they can be loved and held and cared for even when they're sad, yeah. right? That like their darker feelings and emotions matter. Um, and you can really only experience that in relationship and in community. Um, otherwise, it's just you doing your seven thing for however long you do it. Um, but when we when we look at what the seven really brings to community outside of their kind of type structure, um, it's really it's really wonderful to see a seven step back um, because it it requires the rest of the community um, to both confront their own darker feelings, right? Their sadder things, whatever, grief, anger, whatever it might be, the things that they don't really want to see, um, while also stepping into their ability to hold joy at the same time, right? Um, in community, in, in unhealthy or unconscious communities, we're, we're always outsourcing what we feel like we can't do onto other people's types, right? And so as we relax our own types, it gives the community the opportunity to try something new on, right? And, and to become more equipped in these spaces. Sevens, we, we put them in that entertainer role because we wanna be entertained. We put them in the life of the party role so that we don't have to muster that energy in, in light of our own sadness or grief or pain. Um, but when sevens can step out of that, we can not only have a clearer picture into our own pain, but also our ability to hold more than just that and to hold that for each other. Um, yeah, it's really hard for sevens to do that. I, I always feel really sad because of all the types. Um, we really don't want sevens to grow. You know, we like sevens the way they are. Yeah. Um, and, and so when, often when they engage in this work, their work is invalidated. And, and that is so hard to see. I work, I work with a lot of sevens. I think I might have more sevens than any other type sevens and nines. Um, apparently it really like me as a coach. Um, but yeah, it's so, it's so painful to see a seven really engaged in the work and then to see that work deeply invalidated by the community. Mm -hmm. um, and generally speaking, it's often more the community that has to step up than the seven. Um, and sometimes there's spaces where sevens need to set stronger boundaries. Um, and not engage with communities that aren't willing to let them show up as their full selves. Um, yeah, I love sevens too. My, like all of my best friends are sevens. Um, it's just, it's good energy. I love it. And, you know, it's taken a lot of work to like create space for me, uh, for me personally to create space for my really dear friends to show up in their pain and their grief and their sadness. Um, but man, it's, it really is magical when they do. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, well said. You know, one of the things I'm struck by, Abby, is that whenever we've had an eight on the podcast, and I think you're about the 10th one that we've interviewed, but <laughs> ever 
they're so articulate. You know, I think the talk style of, of the eight is, you know, they've got that authoritative, strong voice. Yeah. And often we see our talk styles as a bad thing, like mine as a two. Let me help and advise you. Mm-hmm. But I think when you're when you're on a podcast, man, and you're bringing that strength of yours, uh, you're so articulate. You um, you just know this backwards and forwards, and uh, our community who listens to this podcast is really going to be blessed. I also want to say that great many who knows yoga and the Enneagram and you were talking about how when your wife suggested oh maybe you should do Enneagram yoga and you were like no and you felt some resistance to that and uh, we had some people who who have said to us like we really didn't think you could make a podcast out of the Enneagram and yoga but even though people were skeptical about the Enneagram and yoga being something that we could do long-term as a podcast, um, and I'm sure people have been skeptical about whether you could write a book on it, what uh, you and I both know is that these wisdom traditions, the Enneagram and yoga, have so much richness to impart about how we can grow in caring for our body, our heart space, our minds and our spirits. And so I think you and I, um, and also Kat, can keep going and teaching about the Enneagram and yoga for a long time, which is great news. But I want to segue into my last question, and it's about your book. I loved your book, and you talk about this three-legged approach. And the three-legged approach is the importance of having a teacher, a practice, and a community. Can you say more about that? Yeah, um, kind of referring, like, I always start with practice, right? Because it is the, it's the first thing, right? That, w- that we really have to engage in um, on this journey because it's close at hand, right? Um, we have to develop a practice. We have to have some way of creating space for ourselves to see something other than our type, Um I like to look at the framework of the type as like, this is essentially uh, what what we can do when we have no energy left. Um, some other teachers talk about the type as efficiencies, right? So essentially, this is what we can do to get by on the least amount of mental, emotional, physical energy, right? This is the fastest way from point A to B, point B. Like that's how it works in our brains, right? The neurotransmitters are moving from here to here as quickly as possible. And we're getting something done, right? We're, we're surviving, et cetera. Um, what we have to do is have practices that give us more space. Um, you know, that space between stimulus and response, right? We talk a lot about that in yoga. Um, and so, you know, in my book, I talk about practices for each one of the centers, right? Addressing the body, addressing the heart, addressing the mind, um, because each one of these has not only um, tools, but capacities to allow us to experience the world. Um, And if we never develop these capacities, then we will only ever see the world the way we see it right now, which we know from a yogic perspective is deeply, deeply limited right? And, and the way we are is what we will see in the world. So if we are deeply limited and shut down and have no capacity, we will see the same out in the world. And so 
I am a yoga teacher and, and so I teach yogic practices and I teach them from a yogic tradition um, because that's, that's where I fall. Um, but there are other ways to engage with practices and there's all sorts of ways, right? Anything can be a practice. I talk about this in the book, um, but you need something that's allowing you to develop capacities, right? That you don't have. If there's something you want to do and you don't know how to do it, what do you do? You practice. Um, and so that, that can look a lot of different ways, but that's kind of that fundamental piece. We're stuck doing a bunch of things that we don't really want to do, but we don't know how to do anything else. So we need a way to practice doing those other things. Gotcha. That space between stimulus and response can only be found if we have a practice. Exactly. And then we move to lineage or, or having, you know, the, the direct way that that looks is having a teacher. Um, and, and essentially what that is, um, and what I talk about it most directly is somebody to help you direct those practices. Um, a person who gives you an outside perspective, right? This, this could be a therapist. This could be a yoga therapist like myself. It could be a coach. It could be any number of things, but somebody whose job Notice I said job, whose job it is to see you and reflect things back to you so that you can see yourself more clearly, Mm -hmm. right? Because we can't see our own stuff, Mm -hmm. right? Especially when we're stuck in our type. As far as we're concerned, we're doing great. We're doing exactly what we want to do, right? When we're doing our type stuff. We need someone from the outside that's like, hey, you kind of suck right now. Stop. (laughs) And if you don't have someone who's willing to do that or capable of doing that, then your practices will only continually reinforce what you already know, right? And the whole point of having a practice is to move out of that. And so you have to have somebody kind of continually directing and nudging and pushing us outside of where we naturally sit. The other piece about lineage is really that's really important is like knowing where your thoughts are coming from. Right. So I talk about it in the book about the Enneagram. I also talk about it from a yogic perspective. Um, The way I talk about yoga is deeply influenced by my yoga teacher. And that's deeply influenced by her yoga teacher and by his yoga teacher for him and so on and so forth. I have a direct path in my lineage to the creator of the Vini Yoga tradition, TKS Deskachar in India in like four steps. Right. Because my teacher has a teacher who was taught by Deskachar. Uh, having that kind of connection to the information that you're working with, it's not like, it, it's not a gatekeeping thing. It's a clarity thing. Some people look at lineage and like, oh, that's, you know, not everybody has access to that or whatever. And it's like, it's really more about the fact that I know where I'm coming from. And so I can more clearly differentiate when there are conflicting ideas being presented to me, right? Same thing with the Enneagram. If you learned it from one person, somebody else may talk about it in a different way. And then those two people are going to get into a fight, even though they're talking about the same thing. But if people don't know where they're coming from and where the thought process is coming from, then they can't distinguish what is, you know, different versus what is wrong. Um, And I think that's a really, really valuable piece, right? Like I may talk about the Enneagram differently than somebody who is trained at the Enneagram Institute versus somebody 
who studied Richard Rohr versus somebody who went to whatever, right? Like, and that doesn't mean that any one of us are necessarily quote unquote wrong. It means we're coming from a different position. And so when we can see those and see those different positions, we can actually get a more full picture of what we're talking about. Um, but we can only know that we're talking from different positions if we know where we're coming from. Um, and so that's a really big piece when we talk about these very large wisdom traditions, right? Yoga is massive, thousands and thousands of years old. The Enneagram, the Enneagram of personality isn't that old, um, but it has now had a lot of input. We need to be able to differentiate um, and, and to be clear about what we're talking about and having a lineage and knowing not only who you're learning from, but who they learned it from and who they learned it from, that that provides so much context for what you know, and then it makes it easier to apply. Mm -hmm. um, and so those two pieces are like vitally important, right? Like you have a practice, you have somebody who's helping you with your practice, and then you have a place to go practice your practice, and that's community. Mm -hmm. Right. So if we're looking at it from this very like individual, how do I do the work sort of standpoint, um, correct? Like community, I always think of as the last step because that's where we're trying things on. That's the, like I said, that's the reality check. That's the, you know, video game boss that we're trying to show up and be different. Um, this is where we really see if our practices are worth anything right? Are we showing up differently in community? Are we showing up differently in relationships? Are we showing up the way that we want to show up? What if we're showing up differently and it's not the way we want to show up, uh, right? Then we can go back to our teacher and share what's happened. And our teacher can be like, well, let's adjust your practice this way. And then you can start practicing something different. Um, so they all kind of feed into each other and they lean on each other and they provide these like checks and balances. Um, but yeah, it, it, this system, I didn't come up with this. I talk about this very early in the book, this idea of these three-legged stools, that's not new. Um, that goes back even well before Buddhism, but Buddhism has uh, Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, right? So the Dharma of your personal practice, the Buddha as the teacher, and the Sangha as your community. Um, it shows up in a lot of a lot of different spiritual traditions, wisdom traditions, Um I'm just taking it and applying it directly to the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. Abby, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for Abby, having me. You, you have been a firecracker of a guest. I could not tell you how much I have loved spending time with you. And thank you for being so generous, just not with your time, but with your wisdom. Of course. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, Abby. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to this three-part series with abby robbins on the enneagram and community be sure to check out her book the conscious enneagram which you can find on amazon or anywhere you buy your books and we really appreciate you listening to this podcast and being a loyal listener if you'd like to stay tuned for the meditation it'll be right after this word from our sponsor a breath in and a breath out and throughout this meditation maybe you continue to breathe 
intentionally or naturally. Allow yourself to be seated, stand, drive a car. In other words, wherever you are, it is enough for this guided meditation. But I want you to start to notice the one in you, the reformer in you, who says to the world, I reform, therefore I am. And when we live at the high side of one, we're seeking justice and seeking to reform the world. And just tuning in to whether you're doing as much of that as you want to in your life right now. And continue to breathe. And then let's notice the two, the helper. The helper says to the world, I love, therefore I am. And if we're living in the high side of two, we're offering unconditional love and empathy. And just notice, be curious. Are you offering enough of that love and empathy to others right now? And then let's notice the achiever, the three, who says to the world, I achieve, therefore I am. Be curious about your own inner three and ask, are you seeking to achieve your goals, your dreams, and be the best version of yourself? And then moving to the four, the individualists, they say to the world, I create, therefore I am. And pay attention. Are you creating? Are you being artistic? Are you nurturing your inner four, that artist within you? And the five says to the world, I think, therefore I am. And again, tune in to whether you're spending enough time thinking, observing, noticing, learning, being that lifelong learner who takes time to read and discover all there is to know. And then moving on to the six, the loyalists. I cultivate places of belonging, therefore I am. And pay attention, are you loyal to a community? Are you connecting to a place that you're able to offer your gifts to? and serve. And then the seven, I seek adventures, therefore I am. And take a moment to be curious about your own inner explorer. Are you taking time to be adventurous and explore and have fun and play and be silly? And then the eight, I protect, therefore I am. Are you taking time to be that protector for others in your life, but also for the world to stand up for causes that you believe in? Are you able to help other people to have a bigger voice when you see inequity? in the world. And then connecting 
to our nine, the peacemaker. I am peaceful, therefore I am. Take a moment to notice, are you at peace within yourself? And are you seeking peace in the world? What would it feel like to be at harmony with others, with the world around you, and to also find that peace within? And I thank God for the Enneagram, which is a tool in my life to pay attention. To pay attention so that I can become the highest version of myself. A tool for you so that you can pay attention to become the best version of you. I know that the light in me sees and honors all nine numbers in each of you. I'm one big breath in and a big breath out. Namaste.